the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There are a lot of of people in ministry who know how to do a lot of things, administration-wise, communication-wise, but they are lacking in Christian character. It's not uncommon to meet spiritual leaders, pastors, Christian leaders who are pathetic spiritually. It is not uncommon. They talk a good talk, but they don't walk a good walk. Far too often we are impressed by someone's knowledge, talent, and skill, and we don't pay enough attention to their character. They may be good at leading, but will they lead us in a good direction? Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we'll continue to work our way through 2 Timothy chapter 4, which deals with the marks of a good servant. In verses 7, 8, and 9 of this passage, Paul told Timothy, and us, if we're to be good servants of Christ also, he said, but have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Discipline yourself. Hmm. Sounds a lot like work, doesn't it? We read some things in the Bible about athletics. doesn't have a whole lot to say about it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says he, there's the image of a boxer there. He's one who, who beats uh, gives himself a black eye and, and boxes. That's, that's the thought in 1 Corinthians 9. He also uses the imagery of a runner, uh, one who in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 9 too, it speaks about running for that prize. The writer to the Hebrews speaks about running as well and winning the race. 2 Timothy, Paul will mention a little bit about the athletic field, but the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about it, but here he does. In fact, he, he deals with this very issue of sports and athletics and training. The term discipline or exercise is the Greek word gymnas, from which we derive our English word gymnasium. Gymnas, gymnasium. Every city in Greece had a gymnasium. It was popular. And it was especially built for the youth of their city. Uh, There are some dangerous things to it later on, or at least I, I shouldn't even say later on, things did develop from athletics into homosexual practices. But in its purity... It was simply a focus on sports and athletics. In fact, uh, gymnastics and physical fitness were the main part of a, of a young person's education from the years of 16 to 18 years of age. And Ephesus was a sports-minded city. Remember, Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul is writing to the city. They were big on sports. There was a great uh, coliseum there. In fact, sometimes it even housed the Olympics came out of Greece. The Colosseum, Colosseum rather, seated about 100,000 people. That would be big, even by today's standards. There's just very few Colosseums in the world that seat that uh, average football stadium in our day and age seats uh, 
about 70,000 like Tampa Stadium does. So 100,000 is a big coliseum. And foot races were often held there, and it was, just, um, it was just the culture of the day. So the Ephesians were a people given over to exercising games and sporting events. And these people trained uh, rigorously and vigorously to keep up with the athletics of the city. That was really what it was all about living in, in that day and age, at least one of the things. And what Paul is telling Timothy is that good ministers of Christ, now watch this, train for godliness in the same way that athletes train for sporting events. That's the thought here. A good minister trains for, for godliness with the same abandonment and commitment that an athlete trains for the athletic arena. Now, how does an athlete train for a competition? If you know anything about athletics, you know that he trains with commitment, he trains with total abandonment. If he's serious about it, if he's really an athlete, I am not really an athlete, but I have uh, delved into sports a little bit. I've, I've enjoyed sports since I've been a young boy. And when I went to Moody Bible Institute, I was delighted to find out that every year they had a, uh, two racquetball tournament, tournaments a year. Now, racquetball is a sport I enjoy. I've had some success with it. And so I decided that I would go out for the racquetball tournament. And quite frankly, in my freshman and my uh, second year at Moody, I did, I did well. Uh, I, uh, I, I did well enough that uh, I got sort of uh, proud over this. And in my senior year, I was seated. That, that is to say that they put me in one of the top players, and so they match you up with lower players to begin with because they want the end, uh, the last players to play to be the best ones, and that's to uh, arouse excitement about it and so forth. I thought I had it made. I thought I should have taken heed to the verse, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I didn't train for the tournament. This was the first one in my senior year. I didn't train for it. I thought, look, I'll probably play a young fellow as a freshman. I'll, I'll take care of him. I think I got one point the whole, uh, the whole night. I was, I was humiliated. In fact, I was, so, uh, I was so out of shape that I hyperventilated, and I went to faint, and Michelle caught me. <laughs> I've never publicly said that, but um, I, I was embarrassed. I, I really was embarrassed. And uh, I determined that the next time the racquetball tournament would come, I would be in shape. For the next few weeks and months, I played racquetball at least once a week and made sure my timing was down. I lived on the 19th floor at Moody, and I ran up uh, many, many times during the week, not all 19 flights, but most of those 19 flights. In my mind, I would uh, make strategy on how I would hit the ball, and then I determined that I would be mentally in shape, so I had a friend... Uh, motivate me by telling me that I could never win this tournament. I just said, tell me I can't win it. He said, you can't win it. And uh, when the tournament came up again, I wasn't seated. I was way back in the pack, and uh, I ended up in the finals. I never had played as well in my life. The point that I'm making is that when you're involved in athletics and you are committed to it, you go all out. You have one thing in mind, and that is to win. And I can honestly say that was my goal then. I was not intimidated by anyone. And uh, I was determined to do better, and I got in shape, and I wasn't. I've never been in that shape since, but that was the, the highlight of my brief athletic career. Now, with the same type of commitment, 
to an athletic contest, good ministers pursue godliness. That's what they care about. That's the goal. That's all that matters. That's their commitment. Now, the question is, do you do all you can to get in shape spiritually? That's the question. We live in a society much like Ephesus. It's really very, very similar. We live in in a world like that. The emphasis is on the body beautiful, right? I mean, you, you have to live high on a mountain somewhere and not watch television or read a magazine or read the newspaper to think that, that that's not the emphasis in our world. The body beautiful, outward beauty. And the questions that we need to ask ourselves, and, and, and these can be very convicting to you as they are to me. Do you pursue godliness like you do uh, things to get, to get in shape outwardly? Let me put it this way. Do you pursue godliness like you do a diet? People are fanatics about their diets. Do you pursue godliness that way? Do you pursue godliness like you do aerobics or jogging or training for any sport? At Lakeside Christian School, if you're on a uh, team like soccer, softball, basketball, training, 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 do we pursue godliness like that? That same kind of determination? Let's face it, there are more Christians interested in keeping fat off their bodies than keeping sin out of their lives, right? I mean, that is the truth. There are more Christians interested in the extra baggage called fat than they are in having sin in their lives and getting rid of that sin. Take, for instance, the Olympics are coming up. And uh, people who are preparing for that are determined to to eat, sleep, and drink uh, sports and athletics. For instance, a gymnast preparing for the Olympic tryouts uh, many times moves away from her family She's put under the tutorage of an athletic coach. She has uh, school a few hours a day or a tutor who comes in, and, and this person just works and works and works, and they see their family just a little bit, but they live for sports. They live for that moment of glory, which for most never come. See, there are some believers who would never miss a day of jogging, never, but they would miss many days of personal devotions. They couldn't miss a day of jogging. They'd be out of shape. They'd be, they'd be all messed up. But personal devotions wouldn't really matter if you miss weeks, maybe even months of that. It doesn't bother them. The goal of a good servant's life is to be godly, just like the goal of a good athlete's life is to be the best he can. I'll never forget. I suppose I will forget sometime, but it's fresh in my mind because when I was in Philadelphia a good few months ago, I was scheduled to attend a Philadelphia Phillies game at Veterans Stadium, and it, it rains. Uh, but it was the type of rain that you didn't know if, the, if it was going to stop and the game would go on or they would call it. So, of course, just after I paid my money to get in the parking lot, they called it. Okay? No refunds, at least at, not at that point. And um, so, so there I was, and I was supposed to meet some people for the game, and uh, I didn't know exactly what to do. Well, I got in touch with somebody who I know in the front office at the Phillies, and they uh, invited me up to the fourth floor of Veterans Stadium. And I was... I was um, in an environment that I can hear things that I have never heard before, those in the front office talk about ballplayers. Now, I want you to know the game had been called. It had been rescheduled for months later. But while I was waiting for my friend in the outer office of the fourth floor of the Phillies headquarters, uh, someone said, uh, Mike Schmidt's wife, this is a famous ball player with the Phillies, Mike Schmidt's wife is on the phone. She wants to know when Mike is coming home, because she just heard on the radio that the game is canceled. And someone said, well, tell her he's in the tunnel, that's the basement of the stadium, and you know what he's doing? He's taking batting practice. Now, this is a fellow who hit, has hit 500 home runs 
Mike Schmidt, game was called, they could go home. Uh, it would be one of those delightful times where they get a break on an evening, go home, he could, he could have an early dinner, but there he was taking batting practice in the batting cage at Veteran Stadium. You see, that's commitment to being the best you can be. That's what a good minister does. He's committed. He's determined. Doesn't matter what his past record is. Doesn't matter how godly he is. He is the, the pursuit of his life is godliness. And if you want to be a good minister, don't get sidetracked by people telling you that the success of your ministry depends upon such things as your education. It does not. You're not successful because you're well-educated. You're not a successful servant because you have communication skills. Some people will tell you that. If you just know how to communicate, you'll be good. Well, you might be popular, but I doubt if you'll be very good if that's all you have. Or your administrative ability. That's what many, many Bible schools and seminaries are stressing now. We live in, in a world of administration, so get the ministers interested in, uh, in administration and let them know how to run a church. We've got a whole lot of religious technicians, professional ministers, who have all sorts of skills, but they lack the key ingredient to ministry, and that's godliness. Believe me, that's true. Godly character. There are a lot of, of people in ministry who know how to do a lot of things, administration-wise, communication-wise, but they are lacking in Christian character. It's not uncommon to meet spiritual leaders, pastors, Christian leaders who are pathetic spiritually. It is not uncommon. They talk a good talk, but they don't walk a good walk. Knowing that Ephesus was a city given over to athletics, Paul makes a comparison between the profitability of getting your body in shape with the profitability of getting the inner man in shape. Look at the beginning of verse 8. And this is that, that very famous verse, for bodily exercise or discipline is only of little profit. That's how my version says it. God, exercise profits little. Bodily exercise profits little. For bodily discipline is is only of little profit. Now, I think this is a misunderstood verse. I'll tell you, the first time I, I uh, or one of the, at the beginning of my Christian uh, life, I, I'll put it this way, I was sitting in a restaurant with a fellow who, um, to be kind, I would say he had a few pounds on him, a few extra pounds. That would be a way of, of being very kind. He had, a, he had a lot of extra pounds on him. He's a Christian, and um, I was talking to him about exercise. I forget why. But uh, he said to me, you know, exercise profits little. That's what he said as he ate his Sunday or something like that. And uh, I said, you know, I don't think that's what that verse means, that it doesn't profit at all. You know, does this verse say that bodily discipline is of no profit? That's what he was saying. No, it says of little profit. Paul is not condemning physical exercise. He wrote about it. He, uh, he speaks of athletics. Paul must have been in great shape. He walked all over the Roman Empire, sharing Christ. He didn't, didn't have a car to travel in. He's just putting things in proper perspective. That's all. And he's saying this, that its value, when it comes to its profit or its value, is a little. That's all. It's a little. Now, the word little could mean two things. In fact, I think it does mean those two things here. In two ways, it's little. It's little by extent. It's only for the physical, and it stops there. Being in shape doesn't profit you except in the physical area. 
And little also means duration. It's only for a short time. Now, I think when Paul says little in the sense of a short time, he means it's beneficial to our bodies for a brief period of time. When you die, you get a new body. Praise the Lord. Okay? When you die, you get a new body. He's speaking of this life. But it is also true, and I don't think it's stretching it here, to say that it profits a little in the sense that physical exercise is only beneficial when you do it. You stop for a few weeks and see what happens. When you stop, its benefits also stop. You stop training for a while in weightlifting and see the muscle turn to flab. You stop running for a while and jogging and see what happens. You stop doing things for just a few weeks and you're out of shape. See, its benefit is very small. Very small. Exercise is so temporary and yet Christians have become absorbed by it. To look good, and I say good in Hollywood's uh, standards of good, which means if you have two pounds overweight, you, you don't cut it. That's what Hollywood tells us. We think that we've got to, um, we've got to look right. We've, we think we're so absorbed with the outward form. We want to fit into the right clothes and the right fashions, and we want to be physically healthy and have bodies that... Uh, that, that are in good shape. And you know what has happened? What has happened is we have become, we have been sucked in, just like the Corinthians, into the culture of our day, and we think that looking good on the outward is more important than looking good on the inward, because the inward is something God only sees. That's the same thing in 1 Peter. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, he is dealing with this very same concept. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is addressing wives of unsaved husbands, or maybe we could apply it to carnal husbands. I think it means unsaved husbands. But he says, uh, And let not your adornment be external only, braiding the hair and wearing jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. He is not saying that women shouldn't look good. He is just saying, if I could paraphrase it in this way, that if you spend an hour looking at yourself in the mirror getting ready, then make sure you spend an hour in Bible study. Don't be preoccupied on the outside and neglect the inside. That's what he's saying. He's certainly not saying you can't wear jewelry because if that was true, then he'd tell a woman that she couldn't wear a dress. Okay? He is simply saying... Don't concentrate on outward beauty to the neglect of inward beauty, because that's really what's important. Character is more important than what you look like. He's not saying you ought to look ugly. You ought to try to look as plain as possible and unappealing to your husband. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying don't concentrate on external. It passes away. It's temporary. It's, it's just profits for a little. That's the same thought back in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I think it's a very sad thing, that the day that we live in, because uh, Christians have, have started to think just like the world. Not too long ago, Moody Monthly came out with a, uh, a whole um, magazine for the, for the month that was devoted to the humanism that has swept into our churches, self-esteem and looking good. And, and in one of the articles, Elwood McQuaid uh, mentions that all the, the new books that are, are really equating a little bit of uh, extra weight with being out of uh, the will of God and, and uh, spiritually uh, indicative of spiritual ill health. And here are some of the books. Lord, help, the devil wants me fat. Two, the desperate dieter. Three, God's answer to fat. Now, I'm not advocating people be overweight. I'm not talking about that. But that's what's now on the Christian bookshelves. 
All of this kind of stuff. And the result is not that we're more spiritual. Not, this has nothing to do with spirituality, but that we're worshiping the body and trying to convince ourselves that we are spiritual because we look right and we eat right and we feel right and we wear the right clothes and that nothing to do with spirituality. In fact, I think what's happened is we're now worshiping the creature rather than the creator. That's what's happened. It's a self-centered style of Christianity, which is not biblical Christianity at all. Now, at this point, someone will say, but wait a minute. Didn't Paul write, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes, he did. But you know what the context of that is? The context is make sure that, uh, that your body is not given over to sexual immorality. It has nothing to do with exercise. I mean, I think there's a principle there. But I, the real truth is make sure that your body is used for the glory of God. It has nothing to do with your weight or with your muscles, or with fitting into the right clothes. It has to do with make sure that your body is used for the glory of God and not sexual immorality. That's the context. So physical exercise is useful to a point, but it's inferior to spiritual exercise. He says at the rest of verse 8, for bodily ex- discipline is, is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Physical exercise is useful. He's not saying it's not. It's just that it cannot compare with godliness, the pursuit of, of godliness and spiritual exercise, which, by the way, what would be spiritual exercise? Bible study, prayer, being involved in a local church, accountability, meditation, all those graces that come from God. That's spiritual exercise. I failed to mention that, but that's what it is. That's what he's talking about. It's pursuing the things of God. Godliness affects every area of life. That's what Paul was saying. Not just the body. It's, notice verse 8 says, but godliness is profitable for all things. All things. You say, well, why does it affect all things? Listen, you become godly and it affects every area of life. You become godly and men, you're your better husband. You become godly, ladies, and you're a better wife. You're a better, better daughter. Men, you're better sons. You become godly and you're a better worker. You're a better employer and better employee. You're a better school teacher. You're a better Sunday school teacher. It affects everything. I have couples who come to me from time to time and they have marital difficulties. And you know what? I usually never deal with marriage. That's not the issue. Straighten them out spiritually and their marriage will straighten out. The, the issue is not their marriage. The issue is people. I mean, people make up a marriage. And the issue is always that they're not walking with Christ. Walk with Christ and get godly and your marriage will take care of itself. So instead of focusing on on marriage, which is not the issue, we want to focus on who the people are. Pursue godliness, Paul says, and it's profitable for all things. It it just affects everything. Godliness isn't limited to one area called the physical. Godly character, as someone said, now listen, this is great, that's why I'm quoting them. Godly character is more important than golf trophies. I didn't hear too many amens, so I'll say it. Amen. Godly character is more important than racquetball trophies. Might hear a few on that. Godly character is just more important than anything else that we might attain in uh, in sports, or or for that matter, anything that would be involved in the physical. And he says that godliness holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That is, godliness has its rewards that never end. It affects life now, but it goes on into eternity. It never stops. So since Paul says that godliness is profitable for all things, in what areas of our lives would godliness be a liability? Well, obviously none. 
there is nothing in our lives that a godly character will not enhance. And Paul went on to say in verse 9 that that should be obvious. So it's worth the effort, isn't it, to resist the culture around us that looks at just the externals and to seek to become like Christ inside and out. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You're always welcome to come and worship at Lakeside. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. For directions and service times, go online to lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. You can help support Verse by Verse by calling Lakeside or by giving online through the giving page at firstbyverseradio.org. Thank you for giving and for praying. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Perhaps you've been listening and you're wondering if the effort to be godly is worth all the sacrifices. Well, I hope you'll join us next time on Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve shows us that fixing our hope on the living God is always worth it. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.